0: This is connecting your community, connecting your community, building community through unity, Blaine Huygen and Mallory Christensen are on a mission podcasting from Lethbridge, Alberta, Canada, getting things done takes activism. And Blaine and Mallory have taken it upon themselves to get things done. Watching how other communities handle like problems and sharing successes from them. Connecting your community. Here are your hosts, Blaine Huygen and Mallory Christensen.
1: Well, it is actually just Mallory Chris Janssen today, and I'm joined with a very amazing human being, Mike Hoffman. Mike, welcome to connecting your community and being on our first podcast as our first official guest here. We had Taryn last week, um, but today we welcome you. So, hi, Mike.
2: <laughs> hi, Mallory. How are you doing? Uh, well, better.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So, that's good.
2: Uh, I'm back
1: and, uh, and, and back to. Uh, normal almost. That's awesome. Awesome. So Mike, we are going to be talking about some controversial matters today. Um, you know, I've, I've followed a lot of the work that you have put out on social media. I've spoke to you in person about a lot of the different experiences that you have and really ultimately here, um, to remind all of our followers as well, that we are here to hear every different perspective on every different issue and that yours is one of many. But what compelled me the most to bring you on was definitely your first responder experience because you have years of it. So, Mike, can you share a little bit about who you are and your frontline experience and your credentials?
2: Yeah, certainly. Well, first and foremost, uh, thanks for inviting me to come on. And uh, it is a pleasure to be here and uh, to have a voice because I, I do believe that's important. Uh, as you know, we've, we've talked many times about some of the uh, freedoms that I believe very strongly in, and one of them is the freedom of speech, and that's what we're doing here. We're exercising Absolutely. that. So, um, so my background is uh, I spent uh, 27 years in emergency services, Uh, particularly on the front lines as a firefighter and a paramedic in the province of Alberta and and elsewhere. I traveled around a little bit in my my career, Um, had a great career in uh, the uh, field of emergency services and emergency medicine. And that was really what compelled me to step forward after my retirement, was to Utilize those experiences that I had, as all of us do, as we step forward in life, Absolutely. and we we look back at the lessons that we've learned, <laughs> and we try and apply them as we go forward. And yep. certainly, as human beings, we we may, we all make mistakes, um, and and those are some of the best learning experiences For we sure. have. Yep. Um, certainly, you know, I was a fallible human being, and I made my fair share throughout my career, but I learned some great valuable lessons. Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately, one of the things that I was forced to deal with as a frontline paramedic for 21 years was addictions. Mm -hmm. And so when this uh, situation came to light, I really uh, felt uh, passionate about uh, wanting to step forward and help. You know, how can I relay my experiences to this uh, circumstance and how can I help it?
1: So what kind of credentials do you have behind you just so that we can let listeners know?
2: Sure. Um, So started off life as a paramedic. So I went to uh, SAIT uh, in Calgary and so I've got a a two uh, year diploma in paramedicine. Um, So I, I operated as an advanced, what they call an advanced care paramedic level today by today's standards. Um, And uh, also, I was a firefighter, uh, so I'm 1001, 1002, 1003. Those are all NFPA certifications for all of you out there in uh, non-NFPA land. Um, And we gather those certifications over our career, and at the end of it, uh, we have a long pile of various certifications that we have. But the main ones that I possess uh, are I'm uh, level four uh, fire chief qualified, yep. which is the highest level you, can, you t- can attain. And that's where I finished off my career. I was yep. a fire chief uh, at the very end of my tenure. So I'd work my way up through the ranks from just being a, a lowly Absolutely. firefighter paramedic code on the street, <laughs> yeah. locking it out with the rest yeah. of them. <laughs> All the way till, you know, I made lieutenant status and captain and then worked my way. That's amazing.
1: And just on behalf of everyone that's watching, I'm sure, and even as a daughter of a first responder, retired platoon chief, I want to say thank you. Thank you for your service and for everything that you have seen over the years. And thank you for being willing to be with us today. Um, I will mention that's probably the ugliest. I thought I had the ugliest. I'm not a Flames fan at all, but that has to be the ugliest sweater (laughs) that I've seen. If you were coming to the ugly sweater party, you'd probably win with that Oilers stuff on. Anyway, um, so Mike, what really prompted me to have some conversation with you was you share very openly about Band-Aid solutions. Okay. Now you share about city of Lethbridge Band-Aid solutions and what has been implemented, maybe even specifically over the last couple of years here in Lethbridge. So I'm wondering if you can just briefly sum up some of the band-aid solutions that you very radically refer to.
2: Well, I think first and foremost, and, and I've been very vocal about this, you know, our, our, local arches uh, harm reduction site or what they refer to as a supervised consumption site um, you know I, th- I think that is the first band-aid solution that mm. we've put to this global uh, problem that we're experiencing with uh, this opioid crisis and uh, what i mean by that is i, I think their intentions were good mm. at the beginning but you know without all of the pillars that we've, yep. we've heard about and we've talked about uh, and uh, that we we lovingly know, those four pillars, yep. they're only doing one of the four. And unfortunately, it is the last pillar that we should be addressing. And that is, if we can't get them into Intox Detox, if we can't get them uh, mental health, yep. which is really the the grassroots issue of what's going on yep. with most of these things, if we can't get them those those things, then the last thing we should be doing is supporting their habit to bridge the gap, to get them to those services. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, what we did is we put, you know, the proverbial, uh, you know, cart before the horse. Mm -hmm. And all we've been doing is feeding the animal, which is addiction. And I, I know Arches people don't like that term, you know, addict. You know, let's not candy coat this. Let's tell it like it is. Let's not sweep the problem under the carpet. We're dealing with people that are addicted to substances. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it's not the same types of addictions that I dealt with when I was a yeah, street I paramedic. I bet. I mean, we, we had heroin and we had, you know, all the standard things that mm-hmm. were going on out there in the day. But fentanyl was something that I administered as a healthcare yes. practitioner. Yeah to patients, and it was a helpful thing, as is all opioids. Absolutely. All opioids have a place in medicine. Yes, they do. And unfortunately, uh, some bad people in the world have discovered that this is the next best Mm -hmm. way to make money. It's Mm -hmm. profitable. Mm -hmm. And now it's an abused substance.
1: So some other Band-Aids, right? And, you know, I will just also make mention that I may not agree with you on some of these things, but... Um, what I do want to say is that this is how conversation needs to happen. Right. And you know, so thank you. And despite even some of our differences on approaches and perspectives, we're able to come together and talk about these things, right? Absolutely. So just a couple more band-aid solutions that you have, you know, voiced. Well, the WATCH program is another one. And for people who are watching right now, we have a lot of followers that are outside of Lethbridge. So just briefly, what is the WATCH?
2: Well, the WATCH program was a a volunteer uh, policing program that was implemented by the Lethbridge City Police. uh, And uh, it was designed to be... You know, uh, eyes on the subject matter, uh, ears to the ground, uh, you know, way to report. So, crime. and
1: also they do not carry, uh, any type of firearm or anything like that. No. They cannot arrest people. Right. Um, just so people kind of know a little bit about the watch and then a couple more other programs that you've talked about that you feel. Um, have been bad aid solutions in the community of Lathbridge.
2: Yeah, and and the, the next one up for me has has always been the DOT program. You know, it's uh, it's a it's downtown a de- outreach team. Yeah, so it it's a program that was designed to kind of defer the problem. You know, uh, the the best way I've described it to people that ask me about well, why are you, you you're taking issue with these guys? Well, it's it's like the old shell game. Do you remember those?
1: those no, people Mike, that I don't remember the shell on, game. Sit <laughs> on the the <laughs> Let's be real, no, I played with like, like Little shell. Pony and stuff like that.
2: <laughs> well, uh, well, it's it's, it's uh, a little magic trick. Uh, yeah. It's it's three shells, and the, the person puts a P under the shell and then mixes the shells up and then asks you to select okay. which, which one okay. has the So
1: pea you've or. talked about some of these Band-Aid solutions that have been yeah. implemented by the city of Lethbridge, and so I guess my next question for you, and in your opinion, we had the statistics released on the dramatic increase of first responder calls right so we're talking police we're talking ems lethbridge fire department now in your opinion what does this tell the residents so we have what you have referred to as band-aid solutions then we have dramatic increase in crime statistics that have been released what does this tell the residents of lethbridge and the followers that are watching this podcast right now
2: yeah and you can't ignore this uh you know the, some of the groups like to make light of uh, some of the statistics and and they again back to the shell game and mis dis- uh, and misdirection they try and tell you that oh well you know those numbers aren't aren't accurate but they are accurate because there uh, are statistics
1: that are collected right yeah. <laughs> <They're-> and and <laughs> and here's the thing and yeah.
2: I'm hoping that this is why you invited me here and the, and that is I'm going to give you the frontline worker's perspective that's amazing and I think I'll-
1: we need that we don't talk about it because so often we have that red tape around our mouth, right? Right. You know, if I was to come forward and share the things that I have saw, which I, I mean, in some cases I have, I've been harassed. I've gone through extreme controversy technically blacklisted as a result of standing up. And this is for all four pillars that you talked about, supportive housing, in talks, supervised consumption. I want to see all four. Right. Right? So with those statistics, Mike, what does that share? What does that tell us?
2: Well, and and I'm in contact with frontline workers because I've either worked with them in in my past or I taught them. Absolutely. And, um, and so right from the horse's mouth, they're telling me they're, uh, run off their feet. Absolutely, they're frustrated. Yep, they uh, have call volumes that that they simply just can't deal with. That they're pulled away from their regular duties. You know helping citizens that really need their help, and they get pulled away from those circumstances. And as a first responder, that is highly frustrating.
1: I couldn't even imagine. It's highly frustrating
2: knowing that you're needed somewhere else for something legitimate and Mm -hmm. you're being pulled away constantly to deal with a problem that you know that you could deal with in a lot different manner. And, And I think that's the main thing that we're missing here, and it's because You know, a lot of our frontline workers, they don't want to lose their jobs. I know. They don't want to suffer harassment. Yeah. So what (laughs) they do is they they suppress uh, what they want to say. Because I'm going to be real open and honest with you, and I actually asked the former fire chief here because he was at the public uh, meetings when that was going down.
1: Which public meetings are you referring to, Mike? That was the... uh, um,
2: um, the, the newly appointed panel that came to Lethbridge that was, uh, here to, uh, listen to, uh, citizen complaints about the impacts of the okay. uh, safe consumption okay. site. And so when we were at those meetings, I engaged with, with a lot of people that, that obviously I knew from my past.
1: And both perspectives though, right? Yeah. Like you talked to both people, both for it and both against it. Oh, absolutely. It, right? you, okay. You Just want to
2: make sure. Yeah. I had lots of good conversations, uh, because you know, I, I think you've made a valuable point here. Even though we've agreed to disagree on some yeah. points, and obviously we've <laughs> <coughs> disagreed. I mean, Quite I'm a bit, let's be I'm real. Right? I'm actually a Penguins
1: fan, like by heart. Yeah. Like just, that's that's my team. So and I was like, ugliest sweater ever is that's Calgary why I'm Flames. I'm so shocked that you're wearing now. such a rag. <laughs> but so, but anyway, I'll you know, we, we can disagree, right. but we can also agree to disagree. Right. Right? Absolutely. That's the beauty <laughs> of... You know, freedom of speech
2: is that, you know, you're entitled to your opinion and you can freely offer it. So
1: going back to these statistics, what does that share and tell the community with over? What was it? What was the percentage of increase in first responder statistics and calls? Um,
2: Well, that one's eluding me right now, but I can tell you uh, and I'll tell you why it's eluding me. Uh, It's because when I went to look up those stats today, they were conveniently not there anymore. Okay. So... You know, back to the shell game that I talked about, there's a lot of misdirection that's been going on. And, and part of that is hiding uh, and being not as transparent as they should be. I mean, these are public services and they need to be uh, in full disclosure. Yeah. Yeah, we're paying for those. Mm-hmm. So that means that I should have full access to all that information. And it's, I just find it so interesting guess- it's not there. But I can tell you this, 3,200 calls... Down to the safe consumption site. And I know we got to take a break, so maybe I'll uh, get back to that. Yep,
1: yep. that I've sounds good. So we're going to have a quick break some and we'll comments. come back and talk about those statistics.
0: This <laughs> is Connecting Your Community with Blaine and Mallory. We'll be right back after these messages. The best
1: thing around is Copy Express, your one stop print shop. Best thing is the service at Copy Express. The best
2: thing around. But
1: you the best thing around. Blaine Higgin and the team at Copy Express offer the best of the best 2019 copy service. Perfect for your holiday gifting. You get your personalized Christmas calendars printed now and get 50% off your order of two or more. Copy Express, locally owned and operated just north of Costco.
0: There's a new art shop in town? What? Watercolors, acrylics, pastels, brushes, oils, canvas, and paper. Oh! where it's new the art room at smith's audio on 13th street north for high performance sound and super art supplies yeah i
1: still i just i don't like either of these sweaters right now but in any event uh so we're back and thank you to smith's audio and thank you to copy express for being so wonderful and sponsoring this amazing podcast and you know we've already had so many other people come forward to sponsor and that's just what community is all about so back to these statistics. Very briefly, sum it up. What does that tell residents?
2: Well, um, you know, I was alluding to just before the break, uh, 3,200 uh, EMS responses just to the immediate area for opioid um, uh, related incidents. Mm-hmm. That was a stat that was released uh, a while back. Now, when you add that up, that's $385 per wow. ambulance trip. Wow. Do the math, folks. That's $1. Yep. $1. $1.2 million. That's a lot of money. Out of your and my pocket. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what does uh, the statistical values, I mean, numbers, we all know about stats, you can, you know, manipulate them. But let's face facts. Crime rates have gone up in Lethbridge. That is a
1: fact. Um, and thousands and thousands. Absolutely. Percent and statistic all you increase do is go on crime. social
2: media. Yep. And you're going to see the person who's had the truck broken into all that stuff. So what does it mean to us? It, it just means that we're draining the public coffers and, mm-hmm. and, and it's, and it's creating not just a financial impact on this community, but it's taken its toll in uh-huh. this community as far as it's really torn at the fiber. Right.
1: So that makes me wonder, want to ask you is, do you feel that there's been more harm done in our community overall with the general population, with children, with seniors, you know, other people who aren't accessing these services that you've brought up, is there more harm done to our community?
2: Well, I can just sum it up by saying that, you know, the the supervised consumption site is not even following that basic mandate because nobody's being supervised. Well, some people are, you know, the ones that happen to go in there, but that's only uh, a very small percentage of the users. Most of them go in get their syringes and they decide to leave and they say that's okay. Mm-hmm. Arches that is. And it's not because those are some of the greatest impacts that we've been feeling in our community. I With mean, we especially
1: know- individuals shooting up, using illegal drugs within the community in public settings. We know children have been pricked by dirty uncapped needles, right? You've also spoke to that a little bit. But, you know, so we've talked about frontline experience for yourself we've talked about the band-aid solutions which you have voiced and in your opinion are the band-aid solutions we've talked about some statistics that have been released and so for me I guess I want to ask you especially as a first responder and someone who's retired and and was in the field for so long we had um, connecting our community made a motion asked for more police officers specifically the burnout increase right we had you know x amount of officers that it was public knowledge even EMS that are now on stress leave and you know we want Wanted to really do something about this because officers are tirelessly working around the clock. I mean, you know, even on the north side, Mike, some through the summer there was 16 hours, 24 hours wait oh, time for an officer to come, and it's not as a result of negligence. It's a result of you know hundreds of other files and open cases that they're dealing with right so in any event uh the acting chief currently he uh implemented a new initiative called the crime suppression team and so for me like of course i do my research and i find out i'm like this isn't really any different from the downtown police unit and you know, who has just been instrumental in everything downtown. Sure. They're amazing officers. So yep. I guess in your, in your opinion, because there was no mention of decreasing burnout by this new team, there was no mention of, you know, anything as far as, you know, just even reducing overtime because we know these guys, police and EMS are working overtime galore. So my question is, is, is this new unit even going to make a difference as far as mental health, moral burnout, all of that.
2: Well, they just announced uh, another program as well. They're, they're going to once again, revitalize the downtown. and The $1.6 million. Yeah. Yeah. And so I did the, quick-
1: how much, how, how much money do we have to throw at our downtown? Do you know what I mean? Like, and let's get real here and real raw is that for the last 10 years, I have saw so many different initiatives start. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. But yet, I still have the same people that were on the streets 10 years ago that are still homeless today, that are still without a house, that are still addicted, now chronically addicted to substances that were never on our streets like this, right? Right. So, you know, in short, is this unit going to make a difference in your opinion, Mike? Absolutely not.
2: And so where we really need to get to is we need to take those funds and we need to allocate that to real policing. And so that's what I've said. If you follow me on Facebook or social media and you'll see multiple uh, you know, um, um, uh, tweets and Twitters and things that I've said. Sharing of information. Uh, sharing of information. <laughs> From uh, a
1: perspective and uh, different whatever perspectives. Whatever yeah.
2: uh, you want to call it. Yeah. And I've said this over and over. Take the funds that you're putting into the DOT and into the WATCH program and this new initiative. Yeah.
1: And that is a lot of boots to the ground. It's, it's tons of boots. And I guess right. for me, I also just even considered the fact that we, we just hired amazing CPOs, community peace officers here yes. in Lethbridge and you know they've just already been so instrumental downtown. Yes. I get to collaborate with them, etc. But my question and why I'm wondering is, you know, again relating back to uh, the acting chief is he had stated that, you know, it, it's too much money and, you know, it's a band-aid solution for more officers when I'm thinking holy cats. Like we just hired all these CPOs and my understanding is that sure there's no firearm training or maybe domestic violent training or any of that but how quick could these guys actually get trained to become police officers? Correct. There's eight police officers right there in less than a few months, in my opinion. Yeah. And maybe I'm wrong, and, but and I great, mean, let's get real. Like, we're just throwing money. We're creating all these new initiatives and nothing's changing. Right.
2: And it's a great proving ground and, and the officers on the street will tell you it's a great way to select new police
1: officers. Yeah. And I mean, they're amazing CPOs, but Absolutely. I mean, let's let's get real, right? Like, we have too many band-aid solutions. You've named some and I look right at more police officers isn't a band-aid solution in fact we could use all eight on the north side specifically but in any event i just wanted to kind of switch topics because you have so much experience especially with fentanyl right um you know how harmful it is you've done so much education training around illegal drugs such as that and You know, I've heard so much different controversy and I've spoke with so many different people, um, you know, on the different viewpoints of it. But Mike, I guess my question as a professional and a retired first responder is, is accidental exposure to fentanyl a real thing? Can people actually be harmed if they came into contact with fentanyl?
2: Yeah, and, you know, I won't pretend to be the world's leading uh, expert on matter. Well, thank you for that. But, but, uh, you know, I will say this, that, you know, I do have an extensive background. I taught pharmacology to paramedics for, uh, you know, almost seven years. Um, I am also hazardous materials uh, technician, CBRN trained. Um, So I do have a background in this. And that's one of the things that, you know, early on in this fight, uh, I came head to head with some... uh, folks uh, at Arches and we uh, came to uh, some words about fentanyl and some of the dangers. And one of my main concerns was that they were not taking this uh, health risk uh, with as much gravity as as they should be putting to it. And, uh, you know, to answer your question, yes, fentanyl is an extremely dangerous substance. And I'll summarize it by just saying uh, raw fentanyl powder is really what we're talking
1: about. And we're talking about first
2: responder exposure to that. And And even
1: frontline workers, right? Like, I mean, we're supporting guys that are carrying fentanyl on them, you know, and I'm just like, I need, we need to know what our risks are even as frontline workers.
2: Absolutely. (laughs) So, you know, where the confusions come into play is the difference in formats, right? So when it's pressed into a pill and it's in a therapeutic uh, dosing range, there's, very little risk for you Mm -hmm. as a frontline worker to put your hand in somebody's pocket and get accidentally exposed. But what happens if you come across the person who's actually manufacturing the pills and has a significant quantity of the raw powder on them? And that's what we find a
1: lot is the actual powder. Yeah, and it's a very dangerous
2: animal. Because all I have to do is I just got to put my finger onto a grain of salt worth of carfentanil, W18. I mean, that's the problem. Which is also with this on stuff. our
1: streets right now.
2: Absolutely. Carfentanil and, and, is, yeah. And we have analogs that we don't even know about. Because I just visit, visited the NIOSH site today and yeah. they're now still talking about new analogs that we don't even know if Narcan works on them yep. anymore. Uh, we don't know yep. really how powerful they truly are. Mm-hmm. I mean, when we were talking about carfentanil, we were talking about 1,000 times more potent yes. than medical-grade fentanyl.
1: And that's scary. Yeah, but we, then we when you go to streets.
2: the W18s, now you're 10,000 times more potent. So what is the next analog? How potent is it? Yep. And this is where I've been so vocal and very fearful is some of these loaded syringes we're finding out yeah. on the street
1: by daycares. It, let's be real. We absolutely. have them on date. We have them by daycares. We have them in parks. Loaded needles are a real thing and an actual terrible consequence. many vulnerable children in our community, right? Absolutely.
2: And it's only a matter of time. I've said this over and over and over again. It may happen today. It may happen tomorrow, maybe three weeks from now, but somebody is going to get pricked with a needle that has a significant amount of lethal substance in it. And we're going to have a bad day at the office. Now, having said that, this is my other concern, and this one has been shrugged off. I've taken a lot of heat for this one, and, you know, I've been called out uh, on social media for exposing some of the videos that I've put out there. But I'm telling you right now, folks, and you're hearing this right from the horse's mouth, and that is I'm just as concerned for the worker that's being sent Absolutely. out there to pick up these needles And doing it inappropriately, Mm -hmm. that is the issue that I've tried to bring forward, is we've got workers that that is their job, that's Mm -hmm. what they're getting paid to do, and yet their safety is not at the forefront of uh, their employer's Mm -hmm. mind. Yeah, And I I really, in in
1: a general way, though, I don't think any of the frontline workers' safety is number one right? Like we are putting ourselves at risk every single day as frontline workers. We don't have lifelines, you know, we're cleaning up, discarded needles. I've never been physically trained on how to properly do it. But you know, again, it's just like every single day, frontline workers like myself are risking our lives being out there with the potential of accidental exposure because our guys are carrying car fentanyl, they're carrying fentanyl, et cetera dirty uncapped needles we have them left in our vehicles like it's yep. it's brutal so mike i want to thank you for coming on and you know we've talked about so many different perspectives so many just issues and had good thorough conversation, despite if I agree with you and you agree with my perspective, but in any event, not a flames fan at all. It's a Pittsburgh fan. This is the ugliest sweater ever, but in any event, Mike, I really love to end with solutions. That's, you know, I'm all about solutions and unity. So in my, like, I want to ask you is what is your hope for our community? What is the hope for Lethbridge?
2: Well, I think our hope is that we can get back to the four pillar approach Mm. and we really certainly got to get away from, you know, this, you know, putting all of our eggs in one basket, which has been feeding addiction. And uh, and I think if we can do that as a community, I think we have hope to get ourselves back on track and uh, hopefully we can get into recovery. You
1: know, and that four pillars was a model and also, you know, said to be implemented through City Council. And yet we have one where I know as a result of working with so many individuals right now facing chronic homelessness that that supportive housing piece should have been done 10 years ago, Absolutely, in my opinion. So in any event, thank you for coming on. We're going to wrap this up. Our next podcast, we're going to be hosting Janessa Fife, who's going to come on and share her experience about what her and her family have gone through after her son was pricked by a needle. Thanks for tuning in you guys.
0: You've been listening to Connecting Your Community with Blaine Huygen and Mallory Christensen. Join us next time as we continue to discuss community topics and how all of us together Together. can make a difference. Remember, there is no community without unity.